Great singing, what great fellowship, sweet spirit. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. One of the greatest sections of scriptures that helped me. I, I, a, few, a few years back, I said, dear God, if I can get out and speak, you've helped me through so many circumstances and situations. I have eight children, 25 grandkids, been married 54 years. I dated her six years before that. Uh, we lived in a tough neighborhood, moved to an even tougher neighborhood. My wife's tough. <laughs> My kids are tough. I mean, tough is synonymous with us, amen? Not that I'm tough, but I've been through a lot of tough times, circumstances, situations. I'm going to move this right like a stick shift, right? I mean, first gear. <laughs> and so uh, I've learned some things. I got on my knees. I wanted to know him and his righteousness. Amen. David said, you're, beauty, you're beautiful in your holiness. I want to see that beauty in your holiness. He's just different. He's so beautiful because he's different. Don't be afraid of being separated and different in public. They might scorn you at first, but they really want to be like you because you are beautiful in holiness. Your beauty comes out when you separate it to him. But I learned some things, and I had to forgive a lot of people, and I still do. And, you know, when you get older, some of you older folks, my age or I'm your age or whatever age, uh, we lose patience. We go more for the, you know. I'm going to rip your face off. You better get out of my face, you know, stuff like that. I got strange sayings. I'm Italian. You know, my mother would say, I'm going to rip your face right off of your head. And uh, stupid, though, Dominique, you're so stupid. And uh, hey, listen, I believed her for a lot of years. Amen. And I still hear her saying, you're stupid. You're stupid. But uh, I learned some things. And I want to share with some things I learned out of Second uh, Peter. Second Peter is a great book for me. It's got a wonderful outline in, in, in the first chapter for believers. The second chapter is don't be like fake believers. Second chapter is about good works people. First chapter is Abel. The second cha 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 chapter is Cain. And then the beginning, it, it, God tells the difference between Cain and Abel because the chapter three of this book is all about the end times. Jesus is coming again. They just don't believe it. The chapter two people don't believe he's coming again. But the end of this chapter is that he's coming again. And the chapter one. But he closed it. I have a, there's a sermon back in chapter 3. The greatest day in the world is today. It's the only day we have. And the only reason we have it, he says in chapter 3, for salvation. Where is he at? How come he's not coming back? He's supposed to be back. And, you know, it's a bunch of blown. He's just not coming back. And we settle down and we start planning to be here for long periods of time. So I'm coming back. But what's today for? Why? He said, because today is a day of salvation. I don't want to come back to people who are saved. I'm not willing that any should perish. So if you have tomorrow, it's for one purpose. Tomorrow is to see people saved. That's God's heart. That's what days are for. Amen. Amen. And if you get the oldest guy in the Bible, Methuselah, Methuselah was 969, right? That is old he was. Okay. Why are we so old? Patience. Because the day he dies is when the flood was going to come. In fact, his name means the death will bring judgment. That's what his name means. So why did he live so long? Glorify God. His patience is seeing people saved. And how many got into the ark? 1 Peter 3, eight people. Why did give, give him, didn't God know? Why did he give him seven days? God's God. God's got a reputation to keep. 
<laughs> in fact, I use his reputation to get by a lot of things. God, for your namesake, you got to do this. <laughs> okay, I want to go smack that guy in the face, but for your namesake, let me love that guy, you know, because your reputation, his reputation is on us. This is not our, someone came to me earlier and said, this is not your church. This is not a man's church, I know. Uh, I understand all that. This is his church. In fact, I, I told him I, I pray uh, God's name all the time. You have to do it for your namesake. That's what Moses said. You, you know, you kill these people we took out of, the, out of Egypt, you're going to ruin your name. And you know what he said to Moses that day? You're my friend. I think David learned that and often said, Lord, for thy namesake, deliver us. So we have a reputation to uphold, don't we not? So it, it's God's, not ours. Okay, but I, I, I want to establish my own reputation. You know, I'll kill you. you. <laughs> I'm Italian. We take you for dinner, and then we take you for a ride. Then we... <laughs> Then we do a gravesite, you know, a little eulogy. It's business, Harry. It's just business. You know what I mean? Anyway, I have a few points. Is this, this chapter is knowing him, adding him, sharing him, and remembering him. And so you got to get to know him. And first three, verses three and four is point one, knowing him. Did I pray yet? Heavenly Father, anoint me and fill me. Any, any goodness... Lord, you know I'm not good, but I thank you for mercy that takes care of that. And the grace for this, for this time of need, there's a need. Look at the souls, the, the, the fertile ground, all going in different directions, the different circles. Lord, say things to their soul today that they could bring to their circles that whatever said here it would spread, and you would be glorified and honored. I thank you just for the privilege of being a speaker, a voice. And Lord, you know if there's people in this room not saved, save them. Sanctify those that are not separated. Give them a good reason, wisdom to be. I also would pray, Father, for the sick, for the weak, you'd strengthen and heal. And Father, for the student, that they would, Father, hear things that would bring them to even more study. And those who are going to be separated to the pulpit, anoint them, encourage them, build them up in this most holy faith. Now hedge us with those angels. Bind and rebuke any demonic activity. We'll give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Knowing him, point one, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby, if you know him, are given to us who know him great exceedingly precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And I always put under this point, it's not enough to know him. Not enough to know him. According to his divine power, he hath given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it's a shame, as you know, in, in our churches, I am so upset at times when I hear uh, uh, people mixing psychology with truth. Well, the psychiatrist has some good things to say. They're good analyzers. They'll tell you what's wrong with you, but they can never fix you. And if you buy what's wrong with you, you you'll wind up taking some of their uh, prognosis. The diagnosis are right on. I could even tell you. Anybody could probably tell you what's wrong with you. You're nuts. <laughs> I had a lady say to me one time, Pastor, what do you think's wrong with me? And I said, you're nuts. And her husband said, you chose the wrong word. <laughs> it was like Paul when he said Gentile and he got locked up. You know what I mean? <laughs> It was at a diner. I must have got stabbed in the head with a fork. You think I'm nuts? Oh, my God. I said, now you're showing you're nuts. Amen. What I was trying to say is you're out of the You're out of your, you know, you're in your mind. You got to be out of your mind to be a Christian. 
your mind will mess you up. Let this mind be in you by the renewing of your mind. And psychiatrists give you a good diagnosis, and we have a tendency to believe them for the prognosis or some of it, and now we mingle it with truth, and now we have a little leaven. And you can't miss, you don't mess with God's truth. It's eternal. It's done. Did you see what it said in those verses? We won't read them, First 17 to, to 21. Better than the transfiguration was the sure word that we have from God. Oh, I want to see Jesus. You know, he'd fall apart like they did. These tough guys seen them. They, they covered their face. Oh, get away from us. Oh. The presence of God will mess you up. I thank God he speaks to the spirit. And the Jews thank God he spoke through Moses. <laughs> you see? So here, having this word, more sure word, we're holy men, we're led by God to give us this book is better than seeing God on the mountain of the transfigure. That's what that says. We have a more sure word. It's in writing. It's not in someone's experience. It's in writing. Well, let me tell you what I've seen. It's in, we have something in writing. Amen. We got the written word of God. Woo. But knowing him is not enough. And I do know him. And I, it says that the knowledge of him hath called us to glory and virtue. And in this knowledge are precious promises and everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so when I read that verse years ago, I go, wait a minute. There's stuff in this book for my wife. We're not the same. My wife and I, 54 years, dated six years, we are still not. I can't get her to think like me. And she can't get me to think like her. We're going shopping to buy nothing, and we'll be two hours, then we're going to get some lunch. Not me. No, you got to. We're going fishing in a beach chair next to the lake, and we're going to be there three or four hours, and we're going to bring lunch. She said, not me. And uh, I figured it out a long time ago. There's peanut butter and jelly there. We're not the same. Leave us alone. We make a good sandwich. So for years, I tried to make her like me. She's been fighting to make me like her. And we left each other alone and said, you know what? You could stay a man. I said, you could stay a woman. You can go look for three hours and buy nothing. I'll be in a car reading a book. <laughs> and if I fall asleep, bang hard on the window. <laughs> So we're, we're giving great promises, and I needed them. I needed to hear God's word about my wife. I dwelt with her, not according to science, knowledge, pertaining to life. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that has to do with physical problems. Amen? Human, the flesh, okay? The soul, psychological problems. And then you got spirit. There's three parts. That's why the book of Hebrews says the word of God is the only qualified thing that can examine you because it, it cuts asunder those three parts, your, your soul, your spirit, and your body. That's, it cuts it right. You cannot. I would have physical problems and think I was backslidden. I'm telling the truth. And then I have spiritual problems and I got physically sick. And I thought I had just a physical problem. But it was back to my spirit. My psych usually is the biggest problem for both of them. Because when I'm nuts, I don't think I'm right where God, and I, I want to punch people in the face in the flesh, and I get this war going on inside of me. And so I get into the Word, or somebody will come in, or a child will say something, and cut me where I need to be cut to divide the problem, and boom. And it can come from anybody, any person. You need to pay attention in those days. But in God's Word, there, there are things for that. It is the only, only book. And don't let psychoheresy take place in the scriptures, don't believe. Medical science is way behind God's word. And medical science is starting to develop that your mind causes most of your problems. That's what they say. 
Your mind causes most of your problems. Jesus says, change your mind. <laughs> Why? Causes most of your problems. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I do a wedding ceremony. I say, you must be out of your mind to be getting married. And everybody goes, oh, what did he just say? <laughs> and I talk about, <laughs> you need to have his mind for this. You can't bring your mind to marriage. You better get into the book and get his mind for marriage. How you're supposed to sacrifice for your wife. You know, when he says, love your wife like Christ loved the church, give, you, give yourself as a sacrifice. For, it's, it's called sacrifice. You know what it's called? Losing. You become, you get married, you're a loser. <laughs> and a wife, she needs the O in marriage. L, loser, she needs the O. Don't keep score. Women keep score. Oh, I remember. Do I remember? You're never going to change. <laughs> they get historical. Zero. Don't keep score. Love and tennis, there's no score. V, get a vision. Tomorrow, always fix our, our couples and always fix Linda and I. Hon, I promise tomorrow I won't do it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the sun will be out tomorrow. I'm going to be better tomorrow. It's called the vision. Without a vision, we perish. We need hope. We need confident expectations that's going to get better. And E, edify each other. Build each other up. You're a foundation for your children. And so many of our kids are crazy because we're crazy. But this thing pertains to life and godliness. They're in this book. Then, you know, knowing him, then you need to add him. Adding him. And that's what it goes on, verses 5 and 6. And this is one of the greatest portions of scriptures. And beside, it says, and beside this, beside what? Beside knowing, have knowledge of him, okay, and having the spirit of him. Beside this, giving all diligence to add to your faith a virtue. And I think that's the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus Christ saying, boom, he gives me the Holy Spirit. I have no virtue. But the virtuous one in the scriptures, and it's not the virtuous woman he's talking about here, okay? She was virtuous because she followed the Holy Spirit. I believe the virtuous one is the Holy Spirit. Stir up the spirit, Timothy. Amen. God did not give you a spirit of fear, okay, but of power and a, and a, and a, 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 a love and a, a, a good mind, right? Mind, Timothy. He lost his mind being a pastor, <laughs> which is easy to do. You get the point. But he, uh, and he says, and stir up the spirit in you. You know what I mean? You got you to stir before using. You ever see that shake before using? Shake before using. I got the Holy Spirit in me. Well, get him up. Why did he have to stir the spirit? Because he had forgot what God given him to be a pastor. God's given us a spirit to be parents, to be spouses. God's given us a spirit to be school teachers. God's given us a spirit to serve in our community. The spirit is the key in us. Amen. And you got to be led by the spirit, filled by the spirit. You can't be drunk with wine in excess, but you got to be filled. Keep on being filled. You gotta stir them up. And if you don't feel the fruits of the Spirit, get stirred. There's a song, I, I get stirred, but I don't get changed. If you get stirred, you'll change. You just gotta get stirred the right way. Not stirred by an emotional message, but stirred by the Holy Spirit. You will change. You'll bring him up, you'll have his fruit. Amen? Bring him up at the next argument instead of the history. How's that? Bring that one up, right? Bring it up. Bring him up when you're talking to your kids. Bring him up when you need to talk to your parents about coming out. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And that's why I think it's the Holy Spirit. You cannot study the book without the Holy Spirit. He is the guide of all truth. 
He is the guide of everything. And when he guides you into this truth, and without virtue, there's no knowledge. So make sure you get stirred up before you read your Bible. Heavenly Father, you said you'll give me daily bread. Why does your father start with daily bread? Why don't we confess our sins, then open our book? Because you don't know your sins till you open the book. So you get the bread of God, then you see your sins. And not only do you see your sins and need forgiveness, he says, forgive as I forgive you. Then you get tenderhearted and soft, and you become a forgiver to everybody. See? And, and then you can be guided, lead me not into temptation. Well, the very bread that you got not only can show you your sin, forgive you your sin, forgive others, it can guide you and lead you out of temptation. And that same bread can defeat Satan. And at the end of that, our Father, boy, it shows the power to God to perform those answered prayers because it says he's the glory, the power, the honor, right? He made all the stuff around you. Just look around you when you close the Our Father and you can say, there's nothing hard for you. Good prayer in it. So adding him and beside this giving all diligence, virtue, knowledge. And then in verse six it says, and to knowledge, temperance. Now I'm telling you, when you open your book, the first thing you need to deal with is yourself. And you gotta get temperance. Anybody know what temperance is? It's spirit control. We say self-control, you can't control yourself. <laughs> you opened your mouth this morning, that already proved you couldn't control yourself. <laughs> All right. I said things on my wife ago, said, oh, I should have never said that. This is divorce. Amen. This is a divorce case. And uh, <laughs> but there's some things you St. Paul says, I should have never used the word Gentile. <laughs> he went to jail because he said one word Gentile and they went nuts and they locked him up. Sometimes things come out of your mouth, but I, I think that might have been divine. But the fact is, we need temperance. I took the, our secretary, my daughter and I, my secretary has a driver. She has a driver's license. She's in her 60s, but she never drove a car. How did you ever get a driver's license? I said, you got to start driving. So me and my daughter, Nina, we get her in a car. I says, now, listen, uh, uh, don't even, just to go, when the car rolls, hit the brake. Car rolls and we'll hit the brake. I'm not going nowhere without anybody does not how to hit the brake. Scares me when a dad teaches a kid how to ride a bike. He didn't tell him how to hit the brake. Next thing you know, the kid's going towards the wall. Hit the brake. You don't know what the brake is. Boom. I do believe the brakes are temperance. It's where you learn how to stop. Control. When the first thing when you get the Holy Spirit and the first thing when you open this book, it's to control you. And so many times we see other people. When I see other people in the text, and I do multitudes of times, I know Satan doesn't want me to see me. Seeing other people don't make you smart or spiritual. It's, that's a disease, amen? So you, get a, you gotta get off looking at other people. You gotta, this is a mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? <laughs> of course I am, because look at all the bad people here in the church. <laughs> and so... So add to your knowledge temperance. Learn how to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what anybody says. If that girl could not hit her brakes, and by the way, she couldn't. We all got out of the car. We're not going to teach somebody how to drive that can't hit the brakes. Before you go for God, you got to be under the control of God. And if you can't shut up when you need to, if you can't change your thinking when you need to, if you can't bend backwards, that's the best exercise for Christian is backward bends, right? That's, you can't be used to God. You'll be trouble. He'll send you in circles. You'll be trouble. And you know what? When people visit our church, all the wrong people greeted them. All the people had no temperance. I mean, unfiltered. Hello, where you been for three months? <laughs> About time you came back to church. <laughs> 
It's that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? I've been praying for you. Yeah, oh God, I got to urge you to pray. They came back, but you've been praying. When they first come back in, I try to teach them, no, 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 you don't want to do that. You just, just be enjoying that soap. Now, kill the fatted calf. Yeah, let's throw a party. Let's not say where you've been for three months. How come you, where are you doing? It's none of your business. And so to knowledge, temperance, and temperance, and what is patience? What is temperance that gives you patience? You know what patience is? People say, I pray for patience, but they say, you get tribulation. You can't pray for patience and then you, unless you have a promise. Patience is waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. Amen. So if you want to pray for patience, you need to have a promise. And God will give you a promise. My, wife, my son and I were praying for one of my in-laws today, and I says, we have, I have a promise from God. And I see not only God promised, but we see it performing, and we're waiting for the return of someone. I see my backsliders on the street back in the day, and I'd see them as, yo, never. I'm coming back, Pastor. It's not you. It's those people. I'll not be back. And not only are they back, they're on staff. <laughs> they had a staff infection. Amen. I should say they had a staff affection. Give your people a staff affection. I knew they'd come back. Why? Because the seed remains in them, and it says when it does, they'll be back. I had a promise from God. And if they don't come back, that's good. Then we can tell them they're not saved. It's not punishment that we might know who's in and who was out, God says. So if they don't come back, so listen, you know, you're not born again. You said a prayer, so you have. You need a performance. And so add him, and may, it'll give you patience and the patience, godliness. Because once you start standing on the promises, it said in verse 3, exceedingly great and precious promises. That's what patience does. Promises perform patience. It is the foundation of patience. You just don't wait. You wait on God. You wait on God. I had a promise in Matthew 6. I used my wife and I. Every payday, we couldn't pay our bills. So Matthew 6, 19 to 34, become our greatest passage because he says, if you seek me first, why not add all these things to you? So I didn't, I didn't realize I didn't need just my paycheck. I needed God. And I added God to that repertoire. And you know what? Things always got paid. We always had food. I went out sewing, and I was a refrigeration mechanic, and a guy called me up one time. He says, hey, Dom, if you come over, I'll give you 200 bucks. I messed this heater up. Can you rewire it for me? I said, yeah, I could be over. But after uh, tomorrow, because tonight I got visitation, and I'm not going to forsake God. He said, this is a dentist's house. They're all standing on the couch because the floors are so hot. <laughs> this is the summertime. <laughs> the heater's stuck on. <laughs> I said, shut the breaker off. Then they won't have air conditioning. They said, well, they got heat. Shut it off. And so... The next day I went, it wasn't fixed, and I still got my 200 bucks. But I, I went that night. My wife was listening on those days. We had two phones in the house. Remember those landlines? She listened to the conversation. We have no food, and you're gone. So your first obligation is a father. You're worse than an infidel. She knew enough scripture to chastise me, beat me up. When I went to the soul winning the night, I was on my way home. A guy says, hey, Dom, we went fishing today. We have a bunch of flounder and weekies in a trunk, already filleted on ice. Will you mind taking them? And as I was ready to pull away, another guy knocks on the window and said, we're at the Brotherhood Mission today. We got some bread. And I went home with loaves and fishes in my trunk. I had hardly any gas with no spare tire. I hit a couple bumps. I got a quarter tank. I'm not kidding you. We're broke. That's how broke we were. But my God is faithful. I sold him first. And the next guy, the job, the next day, the job was still there, and I still got the 200. But it took God first. I don't take God first because I'm noble, smart, or whatever. I just believe in Matthew 6. If God gets first in my life, he's got to. 
one time we had no, no dinner. Don was around in those days when Eddie came with the beef stew next door. Boy, said, we have nothing. I said, set the table. She says, post, post God. I said, it's his reputation, not ours. Set the table. We sought him first today. Set it. So my wife, thank God, she set the table, napkins, forks. Next door, you know, we have a, a kick. Kicking on the door. Hey, open the door, Dago. You know what I got? He said, my stupid old lady. Excuse me, I said, hey, talk. My stupid old lady put too much salt in the beef stew. She knows I got a bad heart. She's trying to kill me, I think, to get the insurance. I mean, you want to talk to, we live next to Archie and Edith. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Jeez, Edith. So he comes in, then he walks in. He says, oh, you already got a meal. Maybe, oh, don't take it somewhere else. Because she set the table. He put him on and says, hey, Linda, there's too much salt. Try to add water or more beef gravy. You know, fix it up. And put it away for another day. You already got your meal. And when he left, my kids, the first thing they said, Dad, the beef, we're chewing it because the beef I bought used to have to suck on it and spit it out. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Don't eat the beef, amen. That beef, they said, wow, this is delicious. And they ate the beef. And then they, were, and then they said, pass the salt wasn't salty at all. My kids learned that day. They still use that for their own marriages and lives. If we seek God first, he's going to, he has to, he's obligated. He can't lie. He'll bring you to the last minute sometime. As I said Friday night about Matt and Karen, add him, add him. Now I call this imports. You better import these things to your life. And sometimes we get born again, we get baptized, we start working in a church, and a lot of times we don't spend time doing imports. And without imports, there's no exports. And we know bad in, bad out, good in, good out. And you got to get good in. And so now here's the exports, godliness. You become godly or godlike. When you have self-control, amen, and when you have, and when you have this patience, boy, is he patient, amen. Is it at the fruit of the Holy Spirit? patience, then you have godliness. Then God could use you. When you can hit the brakes, let God have his way, stand on his promises, you could be used by God. And so I get to this godliness, and now we have sharing him. We had knowing him, adding him, sharing him. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 7. And to godliness, here it is, brotherly kindness and charity. Brotherly kindness and charity. Aren't that good? We know brotherly kindness is treat everybody like you're related to them. We're related under the blood of Jesus. Amen. Aren't we? We're brothers. We're obligated with each, for each other. We need to pick each other up, help each other out. Amen. If you work for a Christian, you need to be a different kind of employee towards him because he's a brother. We come with a, we have a brotherhood. We should, be, we should push that more. And we are the Illuminati. We have the mysteries. Am I late? No, 12 o'clock, right? Amen. So sharing him, 2 Peter 1, 7, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. You can't even be charitable unless you're under self-control. You can't be charitable unless you're patient. You know what charity is? Charitable love is giving without any expectation of a return. Well, pastor, I'm so sorry. I do everything the wife should be, and I have no response. Why don't you get some charity? Why don't you just give it without looking for a response? Why don't you just reverence your husband without a response? Why don't you love your wife without a response? Well, I tried loving her. It's just no sake. She's nuts. 
I just can't love her. Yes, you can. You can love her. You can sacrifice her. Love isn't a good feeling. Love is service. It's sacrifice. That's all it is. Do something. You'll be surprised how you can change your wife's attitude by, you know what? A woman knows she don't deserve your goodness. And when you're good, it kills her. It just melts her. And she'll say to you later, and she might have said it already in the past, Hon, I don't know how you put up with me. I am absolutely nuts. I'm crazy. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. When the clock strikes 12, you know, it's cuckoo, cuckoo. That's right. But one o'clock's, com one o'clock's coming. You know the clock, 12 of them according to knowledge. Know the clock. It'll be 1 o'clock soon. Just get through the midnight hour. Right? Cuckoo, cuckoo. Full moon. Worse. You see the beard, the mustache, full moon. But if you could be good on her worst day, she knows. She knows when she's being bad. She don't want to say the things she's saying. She don't want to do the things she's doing. She's out of control, and she knows it. And you get, you get out of control, she justifies it. But if you're good during that time, buddy, Boom, like she'll dear to you, she'll know what a man I got. Doesn't mean she's going to get nuts like coo, coo, coo. She'll get nuts again, but you got to do it again. She'll love you again. And she'll say to her girlfriends one day, I'm so glad I married this guy. He's so patient with me. He's so good. I got a good man. And one of your girlfriends might say, well, why don't you treat him good? <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> but a woman does need, does need love. She needs assurance every day. Women are high maintenance. They're not expensive dates. They just need a lot of love. You got to let them know you love them. And the best way is when they're at their worst, you be at your best. I'm telling you. How do I know God loves me? When I was at my worst, he sends his son to die for me. Amen. And that's the sacrifice called in Ephesians 5. And then we have remembering him. And he goes out of his way. We're not going to read all this, but in chapter 1, verse 8, I love what this says. This is some good stuff. We have the promises. Look at the promises. And verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you to bet you be shall neither a barren nor unfruitful or in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to learn about Jesus? Do those basics. He'll add to you more and more. So we have a promise of this. If these things be in you, I call this be, being being and then we have the doing <laughs> we have the doing okay now there's a problem in verse 9 we'll look at that last but verse 10 uh, wherefore oh, excuse me it's still being wherefore rather brethren give diligence to make your calling an election short if you do these things no that's to do so we have the being in verse 8 the doing in verse 10 that's the promises if it be in you there's you'll learn more if if you do these things in verse uh, uh, 9, but if you lack these, excuse me, verse 10, wherefore, rather, brethren, it give the diligence to make your calling election short, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. So there's a being, you'll learn more, and there's a doing, you'll never fall. I don't know about you, but as older I got, I'm afraid of heights. So when I get high, I try to assure myself, either with straps, harnesses, or I just don't go, period. Amen. Uh, so, uh, uh, well, you don't, uh, you're afraid to fall, then make sure you do what God's told you to do. And what's it ask us to do? It's all self. It's all sitting with him. You can do all those things internal. Now he's asking us to come out and remember this section so you can be what he wants you to be and do what you need to do. That's the promise of the pattern 12, verse 12a and 13. There's a pattern here in chapter 8, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent 
but to put you always in remembrance of these things, that though you know them and be established in the present truth, yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in the way of remembrance. And so we have to remember, not just for ourselves. Peter, he remembered, but he wants to us to remember. Peter's dead. And excuse me. Peter's alive. He's out of his body. Peter's alive. He's never. Christians don't die. So I'm obligated as a minister, and you're obligated as brothers and sisters to keep this in our memory. Hey, did you remember to? Did you remember to add? Are you adding him? Do you know him? Are you adding him? Let's remind ourselves. When we get out of sorts, we don't have to criticize a brother for being out of sorts. We can encourage a brother. Hey, brother, remember. Remember who you are, who's in you. Okay. Add him. Shake before use him. And he said that, and I read verse 13. And then so we have the promises he makes here. Okay. If you, if you be and do, the pattern is to remind, he's reminding us, we're to remind each other. And then we have the permanence, verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able to, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Okay? And so God wants us to remember this even after he's dead. How are you going to do that, Peter? Someone's going to read this, and they're going to become the reminder. <laughs> they're here to remind you. Wouldn't you want to be a good reminder? But you can't be a good reminder until you're a good adder, right? Imports, exports. I'm an importer and I'm an exporter of fine goods that come from a foreign country. This stuff's not made in China. This was made before the foundations of the world. And if you shove me today, my biggest fear is you'll get Dominic. My, my greatest faith is you'll get Jesus. So when I'm done, push me. It's your chance now. It's 50-50. <laughs> I had a guy stood up, and he's one day had me against the wall. He's going to punch me in the face. I'm going to punch you in your face, you dumb dago. I was born again. I was preaching all over the airport, and he was going to punch me in my face. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I don't know. Hit me. We'll find out. <laughs> and he's got me against the wall. I'm standing there. I said, well, hit me. Stop. You're like an Italian going in an interview. You know who I am? Do you know what I'm going to do to you? Like, hit me already. Let's stop the questions. And I don't know what happened. He, he didn't hit me. That guy said, spittle on your lip. I'm going to spit this way in your face, Dago. What are you going to do? Remember John, little John? You would hear that fight, weren't you? I never, thank God. But I had a lot of people offered me out, wanted to fight me. Guy next door, like, what did he call me? He called me, hallelujah. He wanted to fight me. <laughs> Come on out, you Dago. <laughs> you know? Oh, God's been good to me. You know what? I do believe that saving me was the imports. Because in these cantankerous situations, these instigators, I was able to remember some things. And one of the greatest things I was remembered during those confrontations was I'm here to save souls, not to defend myself. And so be it, they hit me. And I said, dear God, I want to hit him back if he hits me. We're having this argument. And thank God he never hit me. And I still don't know this day if he would have. But I think it was the spirit. Crazy John tried it. Leo tried it. Quite a few others have tried it. My mother was the only way that got away with it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So God in, God out. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? If you look in the mirror, you see yourself. And what the best thing to do is keep yourself here. 
This is the love of God towards us. Keep yourself in the love of God. God loves you. He wants to change you. He didn't give you Christianity to take it with you. He doesn't need you adding anything. You need him to be added to you. And remove yourself. These additions, by the way, are removals of any poison, anything in you. These are great additions. Amen? So get the imports. You'll know if you got them by the exports. Once you become godly, you do two things. You become brotherly kind. Brotherly kind is, well, we can't afford to give him anything. I need to be saving for 30 years. I'll be retiring in 30 years. And we can't afford to give. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You holding back money today for your retirement, you don't even know when you're going to retire. If God says a brother asks you for something and you withhold it, your religion's in vain. I hate that verse. I hate that verse. I've had people come up and say, hey, Bernie, you got $5? How do you know what I got? I got $5. You got $10? How do you know I got $10? How do you figure I got $10? What's the matter with you? Amen. How about if we stand and challenge ourselves? We're going to have a word of prayer. Pastor's going to come a little bit. Can we stand or no? Yeah, I had to live these verses many a times. A few times that I failed, I knew I failed because I had the line of my life. Once you put a line, a scriptural line, you'll know what side you're on. Like I said earlier, your wives know they're on the wrong side of the line. Let them go. They'll be back. And when they come back, they become like a better wife if you handle the crossing of the line okay. And, and women, listen, we're not stupid. Well, excuse me. We are stupid. Let me just say this. <laughs> we don't practice. It's not our intention to be stupid. It's natural. Our imports are failing. I've seen more women tear their house down by not encouraging their husband to be spiritual or to be spiritual leaders or to read their Bible. Your husband could be a product of your own doing. Could be. Got to be careful. We're going to have an altar call in a little bit or a prayer. I don't know how pastor does it. We're going to bow our heads and ask God to take his word, the sword, and do some operations and clean us up. Amen. And if you're not doing imports, maybe you need to back, dedicate yourself back to reading every day. Amen. And sometimes, you know, I already read John. That's the Holy Spirit told you to read John. Oh, I read Romans. The Holy Spirit told you to read Romans. You told them you already read it. Different ages and different times of your life, the same book will speak to you differently. Now, if he's telling you to read John again or Luke again or Peter, and I think the Gospels are the greatest place for us to read because it says, Paul says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, and that's where they're located in that library. I'd read Luke. Luke's too long. Chapters are so 72 verses. Stop calculating. If God's telling you to read the book, read it. You don't have to read every single chapter. You can read a half a chapter. You can read until you're blessed. Write it down. Get blessed. Start there the next day. Pick it up. Get back to the book. Get back to adding him, knowing him, adding him, sharing him, and remembering. Whew. Heavenly Father, bless these few moments. Bless Pastor Bish as he comes.